Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mack Weldon with a smart design premium fabrics and a simple shopping experience. Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you are currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. I have a question, Andy. Do you like my t-shirt? I really do. It's Mack Weldon. I love their t-shirts as well. So not only do they make great underwear, they make great t-shirts. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first purchase using the promo code WATCH. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio with all his rules and all his clothes and all his money... It's Andy Greenwald! Is that a Versace reference? No, man, it's Phantom Thread. We're talking about the Oscar nominations today, and Phantom Thread oh, was good. one of the surprise big winners. Listen, we got to get on the same page here, because we have a lot to talk about today. Yeah. We're going to talk about End of the Fucking World. We're going to talk about the second episode of Versace, Oscar noms. All I want to do is talk about Phantom Thread. We're going to wait to talk about that on Monday. On Monday, we're going to talk about the Grammys, Phantom Thread, and Waco. <laughs> Listen to the way Chris said Waco. <laughs> if you want a little, little preview about how my man is feeling about this weird. show. I don't have a compound. Oh, that I, we know I, of. I live in in a re- very normal neighborhood in Los Angeles. It's not like the West Texas it's Plains. very basic, yes. I, w- I was like, to my wife, I said, do you want to check out Waco? And she's like, 100%. Not only did we watch three episodes that's, of Waco. It's a crazy choice. But then she watched a documentary about Ruby Ridge. Behind my back. There's something here. Do, do you want to, is this a safe space to talk about that? I don't know. There's nothing wrong. She's fine. She's just a curious person. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it's How just, does she, is that why she's so cool with the other girls living in your house? <laughs> but the thing is, is that you? I think that what, what happens is like sometimes a show comes along and it, it does trigger you to just explore all the cont- contextual things around it. Well, this is good. And we'll, you know, we, we, we'll get to some of the other things we want to talk about, but I, it is a worthwhile thing to consider when we talk about a show like American Crime Story, Versace, or the previous OJ mm-hmm. year. The second screen experience, when we talk about that, we usually think about like, oh, desperately Googling the names of Game of Thrones characters yeah. so we can find out what castle they actually had or whatever. The family history. Or just asking Mal. Sigils. Yeah. Or, well, we could just text <laughs> yeah. Mallory. Uh, one benefit of these shows is that second screen experience is not just wikipedia as your friend but like vulture is running yeah. a very smart companion piece they did this with oj2 basically fact checking each episode of versace and not to spoil the podcast ahead of you all of you beautiful beautiful listeners who are all wearing galliano right now i assume <laughs> uh, is that i found that that fact checking piece much more interesting than the show Ooh. this week that's a little bit of a tip of the hand. So we're going to do Waco next week. We're going to do uh, Grammys next Monday. Mm-hmm. We'll do Phantom Thread on Monday because it will have been released nationally. And Psyched. you guys should Ooh, all we're going to see say it. chic. What a grubby little word. But one of the reasons why we want to talk about that is because the Oscar nominations mm-hmm. came out. Um, and there were some really interesting moves here based on where we were from, say, October when people started really prognosticating in earnest around Halloween about mm-hmm. movies, who they were hearing was going to be frontrunners. Do you ever prognosticate not in earnest? Are you ever just like cash about your prognosis? I'm pretty cash. I don't really right. have any sources or any inside track of information. <laughs> I just like to say things out loud and I think, you know, oh, this will happen or that will happen. But 
it was weird. There was a lot of hand wringing, and I thought mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, for the most part, the movies that that we thought we were going to get yeah. recognized did. Um, you know, and we've start, we're starting to go through some of the guilds getting giving out their awards, right. but it still seems like we're getting mixed signals about who exactly is the front runner, what exactly is the. You front mean runner. now that the noms have come out or prior yeah, to? Yeah, like there's some talk about Get Out being back back in it now. And yeah, it should be. Lady I mean, Bird is still a front runner, and Three Billboards is still holding strong. So I think, whereas last year it was mostly like how many will La La Land win, and then obviously you had the huge Best Picture moment. I think this year it's a little bit more horses in the race. I, I very much agree. I think my main takeaway was it's I, I like years when the Oscars come comes in with its nominations and it's like, okay, Golden Globes, you're done. Like d- you're dismissed. That was you had a fun little party. The grownups are here to take over. Yes, because we talked about it. Um, the Golden Globes directors nominating no, directors category was kind of a mess. A lot of wrongs were righted, such as they can be by you know, as much as they can be by arbitrary nominations. What's interesting to me about this year well first let me just say 2017 great movie year sure i say this now the 2018 has begun and i've started to make my way through these movies <laughs> guys great stuff movies out there. are great yeah but any year that has phantom thread get out and lady bird is, an, a good movie is an astonishing yeah, man. Movie year and that's and, and and they were all nominated for best picture yes yeah that's wild let's celebrate that let's be happy about that um what's i guess the, the most interesting thread not a phantom thread, a very, very concrete, good work, tangible, dare I say it, thread, is you look at these nominations and you could easily, as you may have been able to in years past, say, well, here's the industry favorites and here are the indie stuff. Sure, the so that would have been like this, stuff. they would have said the, that Dunkirk or The Post would probably be Dunkirk, The, the Post. Yeah. And then seemingly just from, from momentum, um, Shape of Water mm-hmm. would be in that category as well. What's going to be interesting about this year, and this in some ways touches on our colleague Sean Fennessy's smart take on the Oscar nominations that published on what website? The Ringer. The Ringer the other yeah. day. We don't really know what, quote unquote, the industry means anymore when we're talking about the um, Academy. Mm-hmm. Cheryl Boone Isaacs, the president, I think now former president, uh, radically changed the voting block, added 1,500 new voters, and we're starting to see the effects got of Got younger, got more diverse. Yes. So when we say that here are clearly industry favorites, we don't even know what that means sure. anymore. And I think that makes it exciting. Um, do you want to go through some other... Super- well, look, but by when the Globes happened and when some of the earlier awards happened, there was a narrative that nobody was seeing Phantom Thread. That, that it, seemed, were, it seemed DOA. And that Paul Thomas Anderson, unlike, say, maybe some of the Inherent Vice stuff, and even to some extent The Master had uh, kind of gotten behind this movie. He was doing press for it. It's sure was, Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis is uh, supposedly his last film. Um, it's more digestible than maybe the last couple of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. It has uh, depend, of, It depends what you put in the omelet. But yeah, yeah, right. And it has an element of mystery to it. Um, so I think that this was sort of a movie that was ready to be appreciated by a larger audience, but that larger audience just wasn't finding it. And nor were the sort of tastemakers outside of PTAs like hardcore fans and some of the some people yeah. writing for websites or whatever. But it correct the Oscars corrected that. Phantom Thread got nominated for Best Picture. Thrilled about this. DDL got nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Lindsay Le- Leslie Manville got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. J- Johnny Greenwood, incredibly deserving nomination for what is an astonishing score. And Paul Thomas Anderson nominated for Best Director and it's screenplay yeah, too, right? N- no, just Best Director, uh, not screenplay. 
Screenplay's real good. Screenplay's great. <laughs> so very happy about that. That was one of my big takeaways. Yeah, me too. Uh, you can listen to Sean's pod earlier in the week with Amanda and Cam. They talked a lot about the nominations, so I don't want to belabor it too much. I think that it's worth noting, especially today, so uh, James Franco is not nominated for Best Actor, right. and we found out today that Casey Affleck will not be appearing mm-hmm. to give away uh, Best Actress, so typically... In the following year, the person who won the opposite gender award gives away the yes. actress, gives away actor, actor gives away actress the next year. Casey Affleck will not be doing that. He won for Manchester by the Sea last year. I would also say I would be careful about fitting the James Franco thing into the narrative. I do not think it's a slam dunk that he would have been nominated. It That's, was a that is interesting. I, I, I mean, you could it could be this Chalamet, DDL, Kaluuya. Gary Oldman, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington was the person, I think, who was on the bubble. Yes, because his movie, which, did you, did you see Roman James Israel? I, and that is, a, on one hand, a testament to how unpopular that movie was, yeah. because I am a Denzel Washington stan and a Gilroy Brothers stan, and the fact that I didn't go see a movie written by Dan Gilroy, directed by Dan Gilroy, starring Denzel Washington about a lawyer in Los Angeles with Colin Farrell, is nuts. It's bizarre whatever happened to that movie. Um yeah, I'm, look, that was kind of a surprise. But the flip side of that is Denzel Washington is Denzel Washington. You know, people pay attention mm-hmm. uh, when he does a movie, especially when he does a movie where he is, you know, there's movie star Denzel movies and there are actor Denzel movies. This was supposed to be this the actor the Denzel actor one. one. And they've, they've been talking so, about this for a while. I, I agree with you that it's possible, but I don't know if that's, I mean, we never will know officially. But also, you know, the disaster artist did not connect in on a large scale way. Um, it's a comedy mm-hmm. and those movies aren't always rewarded. Um, so we don't, we don't know. I, I guess the reason I even brought it up is because all of those nominees are deserving. Sure. There, you know, if Denzel is your, okay, we'll plug him in, then you're doing okay. Yeah. That I think then you get to, I mean, actress was pretty, pretty predictable. Sally Hawkins, Francis McDormand, I, I should Margot say Roby. Disaster Artist was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Sure. So they, it was on the radar. Yeah. Saoirse Ronan and Meryl Streep, nominated for Best Actress. No no real surprises there. I think if I was just going to mention anything, it would just be that the Call Me By Your Name guys didn't get nominated. Yeah, Army season's over. Yeah. Uh, I'm fine with that. Amanda was telling me that Army is working through that on Instagram right now. Um, and not, that's pretty much it. Not, I, not on Twitter. BuzzFeed dead at his Twitter. Oh, that's right. We are out here in these social media streets. <laughs> that's right. Um, what about you? Any any big surprises? Anything you're particularly pulling for? Anything that you think yeah. in the next month or so, I guess they've already started voting? I suppose so. I think so, yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those years there are nine movies up for Best Picture. Yep. Um, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, Shape of Water, Three Billboards. It's really, it's a really interesting list. I mean, there's nothing on there that is undeserving of recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, I think The Post is a well-made movie. I think, um, I have not seen Three Billboards yet, so I'm not on any side of it. I Right now, what I'm trying to think about in terms of this Oscars is real happiness that these three masterpieces from last year, all of which are totally different, mm-hmm. and all of which are surprising and f- emotionally enriching in really profound ways, were recognized and yeah. recognized across the board. Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele as director. You know, uh, we mentioned Johnny Greenwood's score. Paul Thomas Anderson is just one of the most important artists working. I just feel that way. And having him back in our lives every few years of the movie and to talk about it and to make us feel things is a joy. Um, what I don't like about this, and this is something we can watch as it unfolds over the next few weeks, is the way we talk about this now. Not us. Hopefully we'll be able to avoid it and others that we that we enjoy and respect. But... I don't like that people are caping up and taking sides. How so? Well, I, I just bums me out 
that, I mean, I haven't seen three billboards. I, 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 so I haven't read Wesley Morris, our friend's piece about it. It, it bums me out that that certain movies are avatars for not just the three billboards has become like the avatar for um, stodgy or more conservative thinking. And the assumption is that if it wins, it's a failure mm-hmm. to recognize the other movies. It's actually the flip side of that, which is that people thinking that Get Out and Lady Bird are token nominations, that they are there because of a moment, a Me Too moment. Has anybody actually said that? Yeah, there are bloggers and there's sort of a, a counter narrative on Twitter that, that bubbles up that these movies are being celebrated beyond their station because of the moment we are in history with the president we have and the way the culture is going. And that just bums well, me that's, out. That's a shitty take. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it sometimes that's I, one of those like, these movies are like universally beloved, both yeah, critically and, and within reason commercially. I, I think that they have really high approval ratings. They're not like, oh, let's just like, throw a, some countermeasures out at, at, at Make America Great. I, I agree with you. Okay. I'm not making that point. Right. I, I, but, but you're not like reading this on like Breitbart. This is like a real, these are like real takes. Listen, they have some really good points about the economy. <laughs> There's some economic anxiety out there right now that get out really, really, you uh-huh. know. Um, no, man, like get out incredible. Don't get trolled, man. That's all I got to say. I'm trying not to get trolled out here. Let's celebrate good art. We'll be talking more about the Oscar nominations and the Oscar race. Hopefully have Sean on uh, in the next couple weeks. Um, But let's just move on. Let's get back to the small screen. Okay. Some would say where we thrive. Some would. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about American Crime Story, the assassination of Gianni Versace, or it's Gianni, the assassination of Gianni Versace. I think it was the beginning of last week. Colon, American Crime Story. And we, we were both varying degrees of in on it. We did uh-huh. in or out. We both liked it. We both were like, we're in. Mm-hmm. Written by Tom Rob Smith, mm-hmm. who wrote uh, London Spy, a mm-hmm. show from two years ago, I think, that we both had a lot of time for. Very interesting writer, very moody writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the follow-up to OJ, so it had a lot of pressure on it. And we were, I think we were both curious to see how it was doing things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to hit the second episode because... Yeah. It seems like, you know, American Crime Story is a big show, and we wanted, we wanted to make sure we kind of kept our finger on the pulse... And we had, I think, differing opinions on this one, on the mm-hmm. second episode. So why don't you go first? Because I, I know that you're, you're, you're ready to go. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? In or out of what? Our producer, Zach Mack, is a big fan of segments. He likes when we repeat things and, you know, we, we stay true to the, the spine of the show. And, and one of the things that we're working on is this in, and, in or out idea, right? Mm-hmm. And last week we said we were in. Guys, I'm, I'm out. A week later, I'm out. I'm all the way out. Okay. I'm out on this show. I was trying to put my finger on why as I was watching this hour. By the way, it's an hour. It's a 58 minutes, uh, which felt tough, especially after the 18-minute runtime of End of the Effing World that we're going to be talking about soon. I knew that soon. this was going to do that to you. You and I many, many— I knew that many, the 18-minute runtime of End of the World was going to make everything else let me feel tell like you, Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> you are not the only one who knows that about me and has made that point to me. Um uh, so I, I'm, I'm watching the second episode, Manhunt, and a lot of the things that I liked from the first episode are certainly present in performance, in um, production design, in Tom Rob Smith's writing, which I think you correctly described as moody. There's something, the rhythms that he, the, the rhythms his writing falls into are noticeable and mm-hmm. different. It's not working. I just think it's actually not too soon to say that this is not working and that it is essentially inert. So what is it about it? Is it the st- he, structure? Here's, here's why. OJ was the perfect vehicle for this idea for an anthology series. 
because it's not just that you had different aspects of life colliding in such a uh, bright, splashy, and still relevant way. You know, in, in the case of OJ, uh, a race and celebrity and um, money and power. It was that, it, look in the title, the trial. It was about a trial. A trial is an event where all these things collide over a long period of time. And you can mine storylines from that. The only collision point between uh, Andrew Cunanan and Gianni mm-hmm. Versace came at the moment of assassination. I guess there was the previous meeting that they showed in the, the pilot as well. Sure. The rest of it is making the case why these two stories should be twinned beyond the fact that one killed the other. And I think that it is essentially failing on that score. Okay. It's not that there aren't the same. It's, there's still a heady stew of ideas here um, that, we, that we touched on when we discussed it last week. But the show ends up, I think, failing all of them to a degree because we have Darren Chris's performance as Cunanan, which is really interesting and committed. That sounded like I was judging it. I think it's really surprising, and I think it's a really strong performance and certainly watchable. Um, then you have the Versace half of it, and no bits of moody writing can convince me that they should be paid equal attention to. It does. It just simply doesn't work for me on the show. Yeah. Both halves feel like they're suffering because of the attention to too many things. Is this a show about obsession? Is this a show about uh, a, a serial, not just serial murderer, but a serial fabulist and his attempts to invent himself and what the 90s were like and what his background was like? Is this a show about a successful designer? It certainly is tough to watch this show after watching Phantom Thread. Not that they should be the same thing, but just in terms of the attention to detail for what it meant, means to design clothes and people's bodies. Yes. And then we see this show where there's just some reference, you know, they, there's that conversation that I know you want to talk about with Penelope Cruz, uh, with Donatella and, and Johnny yeah. uh, backstage. I, I just feel like it is kind of failing all of them as it attempts to create a similar sensational story out of more disparate pieces. So... I definitely hear what you're saying, and sometimes I will. I I, I am not strongly in the in camp, but I am far enough out in in it to to still say I'm in on this show. Yeah, um, I think you're getting at something important. This idea of twinning, and to me, the second episode was largely about this idea of a quest. So, and Versace's quest is survival in some ways because he what you know he's living with AIDS, but in another way. He's on a quest to extract the beauty that he feels in his soul, the love that he feels in his soul, mm-hmm. this idea that these people, like his his lover and his sister, need to be part of one family, that he wants to have this extension of himself, whether it's through his clothes, through his relationships, or what have you. And everything for him is beauty. Everything is this pursuit of an almost romanticized, gilded kind of idea of beauty. And then on the other side of that, you've got Andrew, who is on a quest... That is the, you know, if you split the hair, it's the wrong way. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the wrong path. And mm-hmm. it's the quest. It's the ambitious part. It's the ambition to the, st- to the, to the point of sociopathy mm-hmm. or psychopathy. It's um, being a, a sort of unconditionally just lying in almost every interaction he has with other human beings. He's constantly changing who he is. He's changing license plates. He's changing outfits. Mm-hmm. He's changing the way he talks, the way he walks, the who he, what he says his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I thought that that was an interesting way of looking at these two lives. I will, I agree, and I think that what will happen is in three or four, I will be where you are, where I'm like, this just isn't coming together in yeah. a knot. We've already seen the knot. The knot is the assassination, you know? Yeah. And I know that there is a, um, 
a, a further pursuit of Andrew that is going to probably be pretty compelling to watch. I see what you're saying, though. It is, I, what I guess I'm curious about is, do you respect the ambition or do you think it's just like a swing and a miss? Well, I, I do respect the ambition because what it could be done so much worse. You know, I think that part of my reaction is frustration because I think whether you got the, whether you used the life rights or you adapted this from a book or ripped it from the headlines, both stories are potentially fascinating, whether they are based on fact or they were more liberties taken. The idea of this um, continually reinventing murderer Mm -hmm. questing for something during that era is a worthwhile story to pursue. The life of literally Versace or someone like him is worthwhile and, and, and potentially interesting. Um, the ambition of trying to wrap your arms around all of this tied with this salacious knot, um, trying to elevate this from, again, a tabloid story mm-hmm. as we remember it into something approaching prestigious art is worthwhile. The fact that the casting, the cast is what it is. The fact that our guy, Tom Rob Smith was hired to write this is proof that they were taking this seriously. You know, this isn't like Law and Order of the Menendez Brothers or whatever, which not even to ding it. Maybe that was fine. Sure. Edie Falco was in it, for God's sake. But those shows exist because OJ did well. Well, it's and they interesting were like, that you just, bring up the idea of tabloid because I think I mean, Allison and I, Allison Herman and I uh, had this conversation, I think, right around when the show debuted, where she was like, it's interesting to me that Ryan Murphy is taking these essentially campy stories and then trying to render, render them in this docudrama mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... There's something missing in this, which is either a commitment to it being, here are these yes. figures that you think of as these larger-than-life, sometimes campy mm-hmm. characters like Donatella Versace. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do it in this really, like, you're in the room, and Gianni and Donatella are arguing about whether Alexander McQueen and Galliano are replacing him at the forefront I, of fashion. I'm like, I'm all the way there if yeah. you want to do this. But that is, everything is getting lip service to some extent because mm-hmm. I don't feel like there is an investment in one story or another. And since they're telling three or four stories, and I, I hate to do this, but like there are just moments where I'm like, this just feels a little bit like, like you guys didn't spend enough time on this. Yes. Like, Look, I, I, I love what you're saying and I agree with you. I would rather them be catty and, you know, and, and bitchy or whatever they, whatever was closer to reality when they talked about Alexander McQueen in that moment than really have that conversation just be kind of, an on-ramp for them to talk about the nature of- And the jealousy of, between the, the nature, siblings but, because Don, Donatella is like, I want them to look like these sort of gothic, anorexic you know, models. And Gian is like, I want them to look like, feel full of life and wear bright colors and, and celebrate. Yeah, I would rather have that be, I'd rather have more of that than have it just be an on-ramp for them to talk about love and marriage and commitment yeah. and all these things that they're actually saying. Ryan Murphy, who we, you know, I, I generally don't like his shows, but I will- tip all of the cap, I'm not wearing it, I'll tip your cap to the fact that he is the poet laureate of American trashiness in a way. I, I don't, that sounds like I'm dismissing him. He can take these things like all the way back to Nip Tuck and he can he can find a way in to these, this lurid subject matter and make it deeply compelling. Yeah, he sees he, a tabloid supermarket magazine and he sees it as a canvas. And he sees the people's love for this stuff or connection to it is more than, is worthy of something more. It should not be dismissed. And, and it's an essential... Uh, vein of American culture. I agree with that. What was so impressive to me about the OJ show is that the way that it was constructed, and of course, this is the subject matter too, the tabloidiness of it ruined everyone. Mm-hmm. The celebrity nature of it ruined everyone. Everyone who entered into that courtroom, whether it was a you know a, a previously distinguished judge or the DA, lifetime or prosecutors, Clark, yeah, 
people who did this for a living, um, or even our vision of a sports celebrity, all of this was tarnished by what happened and the way we covered it and the way we devoured it. And, and we were forced to confront our own hunger for it. This doesn't, this isn't that story because Versace's story is in and of itself a worthwhile thing. And he was an artist and a, and a great businessman. And he got murdered by someone else. Mm-hmm. So the conflation of the two is I, I begin to see why it was troubling to the family, to be quite honest, because it's basically saying both of them were on similar or, or potentially, you know, parallel American journeys. Or there's there's a there's a, a questing to find out what that commonality yeah. is in these and early that, episodes that, that I, I think fails. Right. Well, I think I think that'll give it a couple more episodes. We don't. We may maybe we we will revisit it. Maybe we won't. But you will talk about it to an, with an I will be empty doing chair across a, a, from you. A Koreshian monologue <laughs> about my love for Versace. That's We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk about end of the fucking world. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mac Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mac Weldon underwear is better than whatever you're currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mac Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor all that and they are shipped right to your door if you don't like your first pair you can keep it and they will still refund you no questions asked fyi i am currently rocking a mac weldon t-shirt wow i it's it is literally my favorite t-shirt on brand yeah it's just uh they make great great t-shirts that you can wear underneath like dress shirts you can just wear on their own i don't know just like it they don't shrink you look great thanks color pops right and it's like don't i look like i have enormous biceps like i've been going to equinox every day yes thanks that's all because of mac weldon go to MacWeldon.com and get 20 percent off your purchase using the promo code watch get enormous biceps by wearing mac weldon i kind of think i could fall in love with him i thought she could be interesting to kill so i pretended to fall in love with her walking all day with my feet on. she's nice what is i thought probably he was gay you does prick. Let's leave this shithole town. I'm going whether you come with me or not. You in? I didn't know where we were going or when I was going to kill her. I punched my dad in the face and stole his car, and that felt like a good place to start. Greenwald, we are back. We are here to talk about End of the Fucking World. We're going to do this this Thursday and next Thursday. Half These and are half. very short episodes, oh, and it's so an eight-episode series. So we're going to do the first half of the season uh, this week, and then the second half of the season next week. Um, people were talking about this. People were asking us to cover it. It seems to be doing there was quite some well. thirteen reasons why vibes around this, where it was like nobody's really checking for it, and all of a sudden it's going to become a, a teen phenomenon. Yes, I, I think that it fulfilled that to some extent. I would say that this is a complicated show to talk about, mostly because, as we mentioned, episodes are routinely in the teens oh, in terms a, of minute such count. A smart call, and in some of them, not a lot happens. You know, like there is, they, they are essentially made up of a lot of, it's a travelogue show of these two kids on the run after committing some crimes. Um, they're crazy in love. Sort of. Or they're crazy, comma. Yep. And, uh, and you know, a, a lot of it could be taken up by just some voiceover and somebody tries to steal something from a store and then they get away with it or they don't get away with it and then they keep driving. You know, there is a lot happening and a not a lot happening at the same time. Uh, the second half of the season definitely becomes much more dramatic. Uh, the first half of the season is a little bit more spunky, I think. Punkish? Yeah. I mean, it is a f- filthy, violent, racy, 
uh, uh, bloody teen comedy. Sure. Right? And yeah. it is, um, so it's not, it definitely isn't to everyone, won't be to everyone's taste. I think my main takeaway from the first half of this season, which I cannot stress enough how quickly you can go through these four episodes, yeah. it's really a yeah. game changer, um, is this is done extremely well. It's based on a graphic novel that I was not familiar with. And I don't, I don't By think uh, Charles it, S. Forsman. Which I don't know, I don't think it was particularly... Um, it's it's this Popular, is, yeah, yeah this is not like adapted from Twilight but mm-hmm. this is this it, it's adapted from some source material it's adapted I can't I can't speak to the 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 um, fidelity to the source material but it is adapted and made expertly yes. in terms of the casting the direction the tone the music the writing it is all of a piece and look you may not always be able to tell when watching a TV show if the writer and director were on the same page or if they had to cut around a certain performance you know to to get what they needed. Sometimes people, sometimes we look, we think we see those things when we are not liking the show anyway. Mm-hmm. You can see it when it's all working in concert. I will promise you that. And this show sings. I mean, it just moves. It is, all of those compliments need to be a little bit couched in the fact that one of the things I'm reckoning with in watching the show is maybe I'm beginning to realize, or at least now I'm ready to admit, that things, shows, movies, whatever, that are pitched intentionally at frequencies that teenagers can hear and respond to, I feel like my my little eardrums maybe aren't picking up those frequencies as much anymore. What I mean is, generally in culture, things for teenagers are more are more. Mm-hmm. They are more melodramatic. They are um, bigger, broader, like wilder to get that attention. You know, to get that hit of teenage emotion. That's something. Look, I wrote a book about emo music. Like that was right in my wheelhouse. That kind of thing. And obviously, as the culture has changed and maybe gotten louder and faster and maybe bloodier, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, for us, becomes end of the fucking world. Yeah. Maybe. Um, So all that is to say that while I really, really enjoyed watching the show, I do not feel, like, seen by it. I do not feel transported by it. Um, I'm totally, totally into uh, Jessica Barden's performance as— as uh, help me, Alyssa, on yes. the show. I think she's incredible. Um, even more incredible when I find out that she is 25 years old IRL. Yeah. Um, this, is a, this is an actress who, in a scene with a potential paramour, has to assure him that she is 17. Yes. And we're all like, it's a legit question. <laughs> she's 25. Right. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's huge. You know, the kid, the main kid, Dex's father in the first episode. There is a murder as you get into it. This is the language of the show. But am, am, I, am I parsing this too finely? Well, okay, so for me, this thing was one of the first shows that I've seen that I think is a product of the... I mean, you could say that it's got... It's Obviously, it's British, and you could say that it's a product of the British limited series system, of which they are actually they tend to adhere to that. When they say something yeah. is just going to be a three episodes or out, four episodes, I mean, with the exception of Broadchurch, which has had a multi-season run after it seemed by all accounts it should just be one season. That's the American influence. Yes. Unfortunately. Right. So there are no Big Little Lies season twos there, really. I mean, you could you get a Sherlock once every 18 to 24 months. That's that. That's more their speed. And you like it. Yeah. You're so this is eight it. episodes, and it's very contained. I hope they don't make a second season because I think it's a perfect paragraph as okay. is. And... I think that for the most part, it has no, it is entirely influenced by film. I think Mm. it is, you're talking about 
uh, it being set at a frequency for teenagers, um, they they don't have phones in this movie. They're purposely in, in the, the first episode. They in the show they mention I don't have a phone. No, neither do well, I. She destroys her phone in the first. Yeah, episode. and they don't. There is not a lot of. Um, cultural signifiers for any kind of contemporary teen life. Good point. It is all this sort of hyper cool vintage music. It's them listening to the radio or vinyl. They dress essentially like Courtney Love and Christian Slater from True Romance. It's Christian Slater's character from True Romance and Courtney Love from the mid-90s. They do voiceovers that are close to something like Terrence Malick's Badlands. This is Lovers on the Run, a classic story that's been told over the last 150 years in Bonnie and Clyde and mm-hmm. Badlands and True Romance. And I think they do a really good job of making it feel contemporary without making it feel self-consciously of the yeah, moment. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but the story it's telling is very specifically their two, the two people and their perspective. And then later in the season, it changes slightly. I think it has a lot of... Uh, it owes a lot of debt to the Coen brothers. It owes a lot of debt to Quentin Tarantino. And it owes a lot of debt to Ben Wheatley, who's a British filmmaker working right mm-hmm. now. He made Free Fire last year. He makes these relatively violent, relatively dark comedies. Steve Oram, who plays James's father, has been in a couple of Ben mm. Wheatley movies. Uh, it has that kind of imprint on it. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like it was tuned to teens, That's though you could make the argument that it's 19-minute runtimes mm. is the perfect thing for people who are flitting around on their phones all day. Like, yeah. do you have 58 minutes to watch a four-storyline Versace show, or do you have 19 minutes to watch these super cool punk kids with awesome music and doing voiceovers about whether or not they're psychopaths? But also the quick cuts, yeah. which, are, which are actually done well. They could be gimmicky, but they are a part of it, and they propel the story forward because everything is everything is of a piece. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I was definitely looking at it from that aforementioned emo perspective where the idea of, like, the entire discography of Alkaline Trio is, like, here are the ways I'm going to murder you, but that means I love you. Yes. Um, and I appreciate how, and since we're talking about the first half of the season, I appreciate that by the end of the fourth episode, when our heroes are in a bit of a pickle, um, they have dropped— I think you could talk about what happens in the first four episodes. Well, they've dropped the facade that— he is a psychopath James, and, yeah. and, and and they begin to bring to the fore the emotional scarring that he has and the actual connection between these two right. people. If the the entire means, story is just it, like these two alienated kids who find love. And it's a pose, yeah. you know, because it, it always is. So that's the part of it. that. I, and, and then when you have the bloody knives and the potential of what he's going to do and then actually what he does do, um, that's just, that's adding to it. So it's adding to the vibe. I mean, I, you said, is there, has there been any, and maybe this is more of the conversation for next Thursday, so there has been no confirmation I, on whether there, I don't there will know. be another season? I, I think that there, I, I've seen some blogs that are like, please don't make another season of yeah. this. Uh, it, are they the same blogs that think Get Out is a token nominee? <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's I've seen a couple of, of pieces that are like, this ends in a perfect way, and we can talk about the ending next week. I think that the fir- one thing I wanted to bring up about these first four episodes is, obviously it does a, a, a lot of work to sort of present these two Eh, not unlikable, but definitely disturbs characters. Makes them tough, yeah. And it does an interesting thing where in the first three episodes, you sort of really start to get into these two and are really pulling for them. And then there's a really, really gruesome murder, albeit of a sex offender. Yep. Yeah. Um, The violence was pretty Kill Billion, Kill Billy. You know, like it was pretty pretty grotesque. He went for it. Yeah. Yes. I don't really have a question as much as it's sort of like, 
it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy for James who thought of himself as a murderer to be to finally do it, but to yes. do it in defense of this thing that he loves. Yes. I mean, I, I look, there, there's one of the things that I like best about the show, and it actually, especially in the early going, leads to some of the funniest moments is, um, you know, Alyssa's, Alyssa's bad behavior is basically just talking back to people and being sarcastic or being, you know, poking at them or being cruel. And it's very funny and it's very teenage and she's great at, great at it. And then that face that the actor plays James, help me, what, I don't remember that guy, the kid's name. Oh, uh, James is played by a guy named Alex Lothar, who's also in an episode of Black Mirror the season prior. One we talked one. about, yeah. right? The, where he's getting all the texts mm-hmm. and running around. Um, he, his, obviously he is particularly stone-faced because that's, that's the bit. Mm-hmm. But there is something that is so true to experiences of early dating or teenage life where he's just like along for this ride because it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and his slow understanding of why she is behaving like this or what is what is actually fueling it and interest in finding out more about her, you know, that that rings true. Like that is kind of a universal teenage boy experience, I think, when, when those teenage boys are interested in dating teenage girls. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that. I, I think that it's very much in keeping with an over-the-top story, with an emo story, with television the way it is, to add a artery-pumping murder midway through. I, so, but but th- that this is the moment when I reach, where I return to that ledge where I'm like, the ship will sail on and I admire you. Right. And you've made the right choices for what you are in this time period, and maybe I'll just wave to you from the dock and Godspeed. I, I have to go back to it, and maybe we'll know more tomorrow. I mean, uh, we'll know more next week when we finish the series. Its presence on Netflix, it was a co-production. It was on the BBC. Channel uh, 4. The cha- sorry, on Channel 4 a few months ago. Its presence on Netflix makes me think that there will be more. I mean, that is the Netflix model, is not to let it go. I mean, we talk about shows that only had a few episodes per season. That was Black Mirror until Netflix came on board mm-hmm. and then said, no, no, we're going to make more of these. Um, we just finished talking about Dark, which... Germany doesn't have the same television tradition that UK or the US does, right. but now they are right on board with this. We're just gonna we're gonna make a lot of them. So I would be surprised. We'll talk about it when we when I know how the show ends. But I would be surprised if there aren't more. And I I will put it this we're, way: we're getting, without, we're getting fourteen reasons why, or whatever they're gonna call I will, it. I will put it this way about this show: there is a very specific. Uh, lovers on the run stories can only go on for so long. So maybe they could squeeze another season out of this, mm-hmm. but. There is something that is perfectly complete about the way that they have done this series so far mm-hmm. that I would I, I hope that they just let these people make another thing. Mm-hmm. But but you know, it, look, not to not to go back to my favorite thing about the show. It's runtime. Let's talk about it. There it's, is, it's crazy. You the, can knock out three in an hour. There is really really something to say for a show that gets in and gets out, particularly when it is so thrilled with the ideas that it's playing with and excited to show you some tricks that it can do. If this was much longer with that level of, of, of cuts, with the sort of suspension of, the suspension of disbelief that it requires yeah, to be in this world. Yeah, but it's cut to the teenage rhythms of yeah. life. Well, that's, that's why it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but, I, but, I, pulse. Yeah. but I would feel that way about show-offy stuff. Uh-huh. I, it doesn't feel show-offy because they're like, no, no, we're just showing. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're turning off. I appreciate that. I, I hope that more people take up that mantle. Yeah, I think that there is, it's 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 not unlike watching a YouTube compilation of stuff from Tarantino or Wes Anderson or mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movies and then 
it's just over. It's just, it's very quick. I, 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 I am very affectionate towards the show and especially the second half of the season. I'm looking forward to talking about that next Thursday. It just look, I, maybe I would feel differently about the second episode of Versace if it wasn't 58 minutes. I just don't if think it was it, 19 minutes. No, man, it doesn't need to be. You have not convinced me. Sorry to go back to it, but you have not convinced me that we need 10 episodes of the show that will total over 10 hours. I have hours. not convinced you? No, the, the universe, yeah. FX has not oh, convinced yeah. me. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. And there's also just like a lot of waste in Versace. Yeah. But they are using the waste to create a mood. Yeah. That's, that's their choice. End of the fucking world uses the absolute sparsity and like just the scarcity of anything yep. as a, a propulsion system. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, the, the last thing is you talked about how it's unclear what era it's set in. It's also unclear where it was filmed. Mm-hmm. I, had, I immediately wanted to know where, because I was like, it's very rare to see an English show that is sunny. I think they're driving towards the South Coast. More or less. Yeah. But there are a couple of articles that, that luckily did not contain spoilers for the back half of the season. But from British newspapers being like, where is this supposed to be? Yeah, right. Because the accents are one way, but her, but she was allowed to keep her southern accent. And so was she sent to boarding school? Like, what is going on here? Yeah. And I, I'm all in on that sense of geographic dislocation plus southern accents. All right. We'll be back on Monday to talk about the Grammys, to talk about Phantom Thread, and to talk about Waco. Yeah. We'll discuss the second half of End of the Fucking World on next Thursday. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening. Go get your mushrooms, Peransky. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. The NFL playoffs are in full swing and the Ringer NFL show has you covered for all your pro football needs. Sunday night, get Michael Lombardi and Tate Frazier's rapid reactions on GM Street. On Tuesdays, the Ringer NFL show with Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, and regular guest Danny Kelly break down all the biggest angles on Wednesday. GM Street again on Thursdays. Clark, Mays, and Danny are back at it again. And on Friday, GM Street's Friday Focus gives you all the insight you need for gambling, fantasy, and everything else. Don't forget about my podcast, too, on Mondays. The BS Podcast, Cousin Sal and I playing Guest Alliance. More importantly, the Ringer NFL Show. Subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.